0: Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hello, hello. This is Sue Rose Minahan, and this is Talk Cosmos, September 28th. 2019, and we're just beginning. Well, we have already begun the Libra archetype, and it started on the 23rd, and with the autumnal equinox, which happens—it's an astronomical event that occurs twice a year—and it happened to be in Pacific Northwest time just a few minutes after midnight, 12:51. Uh, Some say. 1252, but right then, and of course, earlier it would have in on the East Coast, it would be at 351. The equinox is when approximately the late, this is just astronomically speaking, just to update people, it's when the light in the day and night is approximately the same length. And the sun rays in the northern hemisphere above the equator are, the sun is, uh, lowering and so night comes sooner and in the south spring is about to begin so of course depending on where you are in the globe it has a different experience we're speaking from Seattle Washington and of course we're in the northern hemisphere but it is caused by our earth tilt because the axis the north and south pole are 23 and a half degrees on a slant which many of you may know but this makes for all our seasons, and it also makes for this time when, depending on how we orbit around the sun, the earth, that is, the sun is, uh, we're, we're at either closer or further away from the sun. But at this particular time, we have approximately the same light. And the name comes from Latin of equal and nox of night. It's, it's a phenomena that has been since ancient times, and that was will rather relate to our conversation today. The ancients, so attuned to nature, were outside and clocked themselves by the seasons and the light of the day and night. And in many, many places of Earth have many, many monuments. One is down in Machu Picchu, and they have a big stone, which this is a little challenging how to say it. I could probably spell it better, but it's Inti- uh and it means hitching post of the sun so it tracks the sun throughout the year it's just one indication but there's many many there's caves there's uh, stonehenge you know m- etc so th- of course the earth continues to move around the sun and this season it nothing is stationary it changes quickly so Yet it is a very ceremonial time, and to help really understand this, there's a wonder. My, our wonderful guest today is Jane DeForest from, I believe, Portland. That's where she's active, and she may live just outside of it, but not too far here from Seattle. And Jane is astonishing. She's a professional artist of quite renown. Her paintings are uh, treasured by Notable people, uh, according to her, yeah, the testimonial of her great insights she's able to capture. She's an author. She wrote this marvelous book, w- which has numerous awards. Love Never Dies, A Psychic Artist, Illustrates True Stories of the Afterlife. And it's telling. It's, it's a marvelous book of many accounts with wonderful illustrations, too, and so Jane DeForest is a Reiki master, besides being an author and artist, an intuitive and coach, she coaches intuitiveness, a teacher, an animal communicator and medium. And her studies have been with countless folks, one in particular, a Lakota shaman, a Buddhist meditation teacher. She's also a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design, and she journeys. She goes to sacred sites, whether they be in Peru, Bali, Sedona, and Egypt. And her clientele is international. They're on a personal and a business basis. So, And besides this, too, I, I want to add that Jane does pro bono volunteer work. She facilitates communication for special needs children and has a special Ecuador project, Save the Bees, uh, near and dear to my heart, too, and is a director of Portland's International Association Near-Death Studies, I-A-N-D-S, which besides her website, you can locate. And of course, you can find Jane. If lost, how how do I find this marvelous person? Go to Talk Cosmos. they on the bio. We have all of her uh, contacts, which happens to be janeinspiration.com, I believe, because I also have a Gmail. Yes janeinspiration.com. Well, I'm just really happy. Hi, Jane. This is a real,
1: real pleasure. Well, thank you, Susan. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate your invitation.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, it was meeting you was, has been quite instrumental for myself. I think just your energy has connected me with local medium and crystal shop and wonderful metaphysical energies that I search for but i don't always come in contact with but this particular subject i know we had several subjects on the platter our, our platter at first because you also do extraordinary work with chakras which initially we were, we may even touch on um, but because it is the equinox and i know you've done a wonderful talk in portland um, at the renaissance I don't know if I, here I wrote the name down, but the Renaissance books, Bookshop in Portland about the equinox and that it's a time, your title was a release, an in, in inward time to be grateful for. So perhaps you'd like to start in any fashion about what you feel uh, these energies are sharing for us to really
1: work with. Sure. You bet, Susan. Thank you for that intro. That's excellent. Um, my, I typically present on solstice and equinox in my community, which is the greater Portland, Oregon area. And um, I think it's important on a macro uh, scale because uh, not only are these ancient, ancient uh, times where our ancestors celebrated and also did important prayer work, it also has a scientific importance. So, in this presentation, in my presentation, and in our discussion today, I hope to present the idea that there is a scientific uh, explanation for why this is an important time, and why it's also was spiritually significant to our our ancient ancestors, and um, I believe embedded in our DNA. Mm, beautiful. But but we are um, uh, unfortunately um, have forgotten this and it is not an integral part of our education. It's pretty fringe. So I've sort of taken it up upon myself to, um, to learn about it, to research it, and to also visit some of the important places where our ancient religions centered around these time periods. I recently returned from a trip to Eleusis in uh, Greece, which is outside of Athens and was the epicenter for the ancient mysteries for um, several millennia uh, and did some um, intuitive work there. And I can talk a little bit about that. Um, Also ancient Egypt where uh, it it said that the ancient mysteries originated. Um, But I think within this is also a power that we can harness and that we can um, focus our prayer work and our manifesting work at this time for um, f- for uh, beneficial outcomes. So I think there's a practical application.
0: It, it's so important, I like this, to be able to ground it within because each of us is part of this whole network of energy, like a bee colony actually, and we all have a part. So, And I'm fascinated. I know that the, the mysteries, which again relate to... Well, it relates to Virgo's Ceres, and Persephone, and it also, with this talk, I think of Inanna and Venus, which isn't really the mysteries, but yet her, de- her also underworld experience.
1: Good. That's a very yeah, and that's very insightful. Um, absolutely, we're looking at the end of Virgo and going into Libra. and you mentioned Persephone and uh, Demeter or uh, Corey. So these are ancient names that apply to um, not only goddesses and gods, but um, energies, because there's certainly different schools of thought. And I'm uh, someone who presents ideas for people to consider. I'm, I'm not a fundamentalist anything so I don't really have a, an attachment to how people interpret it but I I think we're uh I I think people are very very intelligent and they'll apply their own understanding to it but absolutely this is a time of year uh when it uh the ancients entered the underworld um also if you look at the astrological chart it is the time of the inside of the nighttime of the moon of the goddess; those are all uh, archetypes. When you talked in in the beginning about uh, the mind like a like a hive like a bee, I think that's uh, you've grasped the cent- my central idea, and I think it's very intuitive of you because we haven't discussed this. Uh, but the underlying message is that I believe this is an indication of our oneness mm-hmm. of our of our hive mind uh that we are all uh, an integral part of the whole and that uh our consciousness is both both individuated but also um affecting the collective so um that's a little out there but <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I agree can, I love that. it yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so uh, just to jump in, w- would you like me to just yes, jump in? Sure. Bit? Okay, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> so, um yeah, New Renaissance Bookshop in Portland is uh, my professional home in Portland and also a sponsor to many of my presentations. So just a little plug for them on 23rd. They're a great place. So what's important uh on a on a deep and on a sort of superficial level about this time of year is it's the time of the harvest. It's the harvest goddess. It is abundance uh, collected so we can um, uh, preserve it for uh, sustenance over the long winter months. Um, And it is also the time of Thanksgiving. Uh, Our Thanksgiving is a month away, but it's this time period and it was often celebrated At this juncture in ancient times and uh, also throughout the Middle Ages, this is the time of thanks. So gratitude being a powerful, powerful um, uh, directive. So uh, entering the underworld, entering the cycle of death um, is uh, symbolically a time of letting go of what no longer serves us. Uh, What are we carrying? That is taking, costing us life force pranic energy to sustain hatred, resentment, animosity, acrimony, jealousy, um, wounds, old hurts, uh, all these things, although uh, absolutely justified. I certainly know I feel very justified in in my um Holding grudges or something <laughs> against someone, because of course I'm right. Um, the truth is that that is expensive energetically. So uh, that's uh, realizing that, of course, is the first step. So what do you do about it? Well, it's in this quarter of the solar year, and uh, also reflecting to the lunar year. All these were all these cycles were originally recognized in our ancient times from a solar perspective and then later from uh, from a sorry from m- my correction from a lunar perspective and then later from a solar perspective so you'll see the moon gods and goddesses primarily goddesses are of the most ancient times and then came the sun gods the solar gods yes but in this final quarter which applies now to the solar we're talking about a solar uh, cycle. It is the death cycle, Um, it it is uh, the time when the goddess was abducted, the maiden was abducted by Pluto, the god Pluto, and taken to the underworld, called Hades in the ancient myth. And uh, she was ripped away from her mother, her mother uh, known as, by many different names, um, but really Mother Earth. Uh, often this myth is uh, um, identified as an uh, an earth-centric myth that it is the explanation of why the seasons uh, die, and they had it in a mythical form. But I I don't I think there's so much importance at this time that can easily be dismissed as primitive earth myth mm, yeah. <laughs> that I just want to present that. But I, but I think there's so much more to it and I, that's just what I has been my inkling and my fascination. And so I've spent much time researching and journeying to these places yeah. to bring back um, in the way that the maiden brought back the information from the underworld. So in a way I'm sort of acting out the myth in a, in a dramatic uh, way. It- um. Yes, absolutely. Well, no, no,
0: no, no. It it's wonderful. And I agree. I think the mythology, which has always fascinated me since a young person, and thankfully now with more of a spiritual overlay of, of dimension, knowing that we are a spirit in a body, mm-hmm. it it's that language, that poetic, you can call it poetic, allegory, however, but yet it's the coded language that, that shared deep, deep. Uh, psychic information we are psychic and so it it it's so important i agree and you know i was just thinking about as a comment about the negative that we might have it as attachments that when you speak of how expensive which is a great way of defining this energy because essentially it it's sir it, because anything has its finite you know energy has has a, a certain length of, of 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 energy but but the negative really only works within ourselves and eats away at ourselves and it, it it without a resolution to build on that that really has lasting value so i think the importance like of a nana or of 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 Persephone which of in, in her story you know there isn't so much of okay so she she returns to earth to have nurturing but still it's that that moment of
1: solitude of reflection mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that's uh, what you're saying is really important and Um, that these myths are uh, crumbs that have been left behind Mm -hmm. and unfortunately in our society forgotten uh, to direct us to the truth. Um, Now... Uh, as you mentioned before, we've got uh, the equinoxes are equal, and uh, as you mentioned, it's uh, based the uh, and looking at the etymology is really important. Like, what is the what are the words and the, the roots of these words telling us? It is what's completely equal. It is the time when dark and light are completely balanced. In the spring, it's uh, considered sacred marriage. It's about Sex, uh, procreation, about Genesis, and it's uh, in the fall. It's a completely different marriage of equals. In the ancient times, it's believed that the double cross, the double axe, which I saw in the ancient uh, Cretan cultures, uh, big giant double axes, by the way, as if uh, they they must have had a, a much taller race and in my own meditations, I came to that understanding, but that's a little, uh, (laughs) that goes off on a different topic. Um, But what we've got here is uh, um, a cycle and the game, I believe uh, part of what's being hidden in these myths is a truth that is um, hidden in uh, the Ouroboros or the Mm. circle of the snake eating its own tail an ancient symbol that tells us as these cycles of fall equinox, winter solstice, spring equinox, summer solstice, again, fall equinox, this is um, the cyclical nature of the calendar that we don't get a sense of in the Gregorian calendar and mirrors this Ouroboros, the snake eating its tail. Uh, Well, what does this mean? Well, you think of it, you think of future generations. I'm a mother of three daughters and uh, things have been lost from my grandmother uh, to my children, and that's just several generations. I wish I'd paid more attention to what my grandmother told me. Uh, I I only have a bit to pass on to my daughters. I think of my great-great-great-grandchildren, what will be left of the wisdom that I've passed on if there's been any kind of a disruption in the culture, um, which certainly happens historically repeatedly, Uh, information and wisdom is lost. That may be why the ancients buried scrolls and uh, Mm. also hid information in architecture, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But I believe that these symbols are messages from our ancient past to um, tell us the uh, core truths that can help us live a more meaningful life. And I believe what these symbols are telling us is that we are eternal, and as we die in this last quarter, we die to our ego self uh, and the anci- and being born again at Christmas as the birth of the light, the birth of Jesus is symbolic of that. We have a lot of births of sons of God, 30-odd uh, of them by, by virgins, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a historical fact. This is in no way meaning to be um, uh, dishonoring of the Christian t- tradition. Um, I'm merely uh, yes. reporting history. Yes. So, um, and I think to approach this, we it's we have to consider suspending disbelief, or as uh, uh, Master Yoda says, "You must unlearn what you have learned." Yes. decondition. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> have, we have learned that matter. You know uh, the. Uh, superstition of materialism, that solid thing, uh, matter is solid. Of course, we understand with with physics that's 100 years old, that in fact, it's 1% matter and 99% uh, energy buzzing around fast enough for us to perceive it as um, solid. And we uh, perceive ourselves as uh, separate, but uh, we're all science cutting edge science or even hundred year old science tells us we're also a wave so um it's important to at least it, with this presentation I invite the listener to not necessarily believe what I'm saying but put to suspend disbelief and hold uh hold this information with an open hand and an open mind so I invite I invite that But uh, we live in a really big universe. We live in a vast expanse of universe that's traveling through our solar system moves through space at 70,000 kilometers an hour. So we're booking through space. And um, sometimes I think it's very easy to um, perceive us as, um, you know, static and that time travels in one arrow from the past to the uh, future. But in fact, um, it seems that we're entangled. That uh, includes time. And I wonder if the ancients didn't know that. Um, But uh, what science tells us about this time of year is that the the Earth's magnetic field has anomalies at two times of year. Those are at spring and fall equinox. Isn't that interesting? It is. is. Yeah, so um, uh, the research that I did, uh, the U, uh, UCLA astrophysicists say that the auroral, the auroral, the so the aurora borealis, those yes. substorms, they've long um, puzzled space physicists, and they erupt with little warning and shocking intensity in these two times of year. Ah. Isn't that interesting? Well, and it's, it's it's a mystery to these brilliant physicists. Um, And that's what causes our uh, beautiful aurora borealis. Well, the
0: energy cycle, we understand electromagnetic
1: and gravity. So far, we
0: don't have one huge formula for both of them. Well, Jane, this is already lots of seeds of thought. And for our audience's sake, we will return very shortly. This is with Jane DeForest. This is Libra archetype for the equinox. And today is, and I didn't say, well, it is September 28th, but we, this is also repeated on October 3rd. So if you're listening at six o'clock in the morning, you will also enjoy. We will be right back. Thank you. take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos. Let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the Yang period of Libra, ruled duly by Venus. By leaving the lower hemisphere of the self, the energy of Libra enters the arena where the completed self meets the other-than-self to form a relationship based on partnership. As a cardinal air sign on the descendant angle, represented by the equinox of equal light, Libra's energy learns through comparison and relationships, with the intention to integrate duality and polarities.
1: In addition to today's program, intuitive coach and psychic medium Jane DeForest, the director of the Portland International Association for Near Death Studies and author of the book, Love Never Dies, will be appearing at Seattle's East West Bookshop on Friday, October 11th for intuitive art readings from 11 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. and presenting a Sunday class on the 13th from 1 to 3 p.m. Tickets are still available for purchase and can be purchased in person at East West Bookshop. For more information, call 206-523-3726. Greetings, this is Ben Mabry, and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, where we unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness, consciousness, and superconsciousness. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
0: Hi again. Greetings. Sue Rose Minahan with Jane DeForest from Oregon. And we're talking about the equinox that occurred on the 23rd of September. Today is the 28th and we're repeating on the October 3rd in the morning and the conversation has several highlights that I have jotted down that somehow I would like to bring out that's so exciting to me I love the Ouroboros you know it's this wonderful uh, uh, ancient diagram of the serpent as as Jane has said eating its tail of and and it really goes back to so many legend well Hermes and his caduceus and uh, many mist and then the mysteries of Greece the idea of re- being reborn is certainly and if you're going to get reborn at, for the solstice of course we need to let go and there is that total process uh, autumn no matter if it's above or below the equator drops the leaves of course and and that so if Jane if you could uh, bring out some, some insights that you felt that you could share, because the audience is a wide mix. But basically, people here are very fascinated with the archetypes of astrology. And so there, there's, I think you have a, a willing ear. And if you could share what you felt about, in Greece, with the oracle, because it, it is, we, well, that would be fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Susan, you're uh, we're definitely connected because I, uh, during the break, skipped ahead <laughs> <laughs> from my slide presentation, which is available. Um, it will be available on, on the link or the uh, PowerPoint. In a in a more modern way of putting it, um, and I'll and I had uh, skipped the part about how I feel that uh, this ancient time is a portal. Because of the electromagnetic anomalies and why I think that. And I'm going to skip ahead to Eleusis um, to talk a little bit about how I believe the ancients utilized that portal. Oh, beautiful. And um, in my recent visit, I was stunned at a couple of things. First of all, what was at Eleusis, and it was markedly empty. My visit to the Acropolis was swimming through a sea of international tourists, all (laughs) wearing different kinds of clothes and speaking different languages. And you had to, uh, you know, um, elbow your way to, to the Parthenon and so forth. And at Eleusis, there was nobody. A small group of academics arrived after my daughter and I did but it is a mystery to this day. And people uh, don't know a lot about it because it's, um, it's not common knowledge. So uh, for um, uh, millennium, uh, they've got archi- uh, architectural um, objects that go back to the 17th uh, millennium BC mm-hmm. at this uh, particular location. Um, where there was a well, and many times where there's a well geographically, it is considered a sacred space, if not opening it up um, in uh, these sacred places, I will interject, do have specific energies. The ancients were not morons, and they didn't just arbitrarily put these at random places. If you uh, step back from a higher vantage point, you can see that these are uh, almost equidistant and create a web or Uh, uh, acupuncture points that connect a ley line system around the planet that's a little bit of a different topic but I just want to say that to to, um, uh, introduce the idea that this particular place was ancient uh, was um, uh, spiritually significant it was a religious epicenter for thousands and thousands of years why and that's an important question to ask in um it was um, from our recollection the most the documentation we have is from ancient greece it was uh when the romans um uh uh took over uh, uh occupied greece and it became the roman empire it then Eleusis mystery school became run by the roman government so it was a government provided spiritual experience. Uh, uh, people could only go there once. In the same way people uh, trek to uh, um, uh, pilgrims, trek to Mecca, or they trek to Santiago de Compostela, this was a, a place for for people, spiritual pilgrims, to um, travel to. My daughter and I made sure that we we didn't walk it typically, how it was done it was the major mysteries took place at one time of year and that was fall equinox and the religious collected at the acropolis before dawn and as the sun was rising they left on their track stopping along the way to make offerings to the great goddess and uh, as an aside one of the things they offered were uh, sculptures of doves mm-hmm. so. Uh, Sophia, the great goddess by many names, including Athena, was uh, honored by the dove, uh, which we see later as the Holy Spirit so this symbolism goes way back, um, and we took the bus, and I'll tell you, the ancient uh, olive groves are now uh, filthy industrial complexes um, and this sacred pla- um it was called the sacred path. The sacred path is now a, um, a concrete, uh, not a jungle, but it's a bit of a wasteland. There's um, lots of industry there, and you can see the encroachment of modern consciousness uh, in the pollute the environment and disconnection to the divine in tangible terms. But anyway... We got to this place, and um, I had the place to ourselves. We did meditation there. And my research told me, and and you can see remnants of this in the um, bas-reliefs of the architecture, there are shafts of wheat. Well, we don't know a lot about the ancient mysteries, but we do know that there was a dramatic play about the goddess descending into the underworld and who will emerge, by the way, spring equinox. Although in some ancient cultures, it was emerging at winter solstice. So this symbolism of going down was was uh, dramatically uh, shown to the uh, people who were uh, spiritual seekers. And they drank something. We know that from the Testament. But not much is known because the secrets, if they were divulged, would be punishable by death. So... People were not so likely to share what went on. No, <laughs> but there was, but there was in uh, uh, four, oh, was it 40, um I might have my dates wrong, but there was a scandal in Roman times. So I think it was about forty A.D. about someone who served the mysteries at dinner, which I think um, gave rise to a whole bunch of research, which I can't take credit for, except that I have been fascinated by. And there is a smut or um, mushroom uh, fungus that grows on barley and on rye. That's called ergot, and ergot is a hallucinogenic uh, fungus. Which, incidentally, if you've heard of Dr. Abby Hoffman, was uh, ergot was synthesized by Dr. Hoffman in the thirties and. Um, and to what we know as LSD. Mm-hmm. So it's believed that uh, people who were required to fast, um, anybody could do this, by the way, women, slaves, uh, free men, and uh, foreigners. Uh, the requirements were that they had to speak Greek. They had to uh, not have committed arson or murder. And uh, they arrived fat and uh, required to have fasted for some time and... Watch the dramatic play and some other things. They descended into a room called the Telestrion, which I have in my slide presentation uh, a facsimile of what it looked like and then a picture of what it looks like now that I took. And um, people would enter this room and drink this brew. And upon leaving, the reports say that they would exclaim that they had um, epiphanies, they were able to see a light that was all knowledge and love that they were able to understand the gods. So certainly, although um, uh, they parallel people who have had psychedelic experiences or potentially near-death experiences, but what this really was was a born-again experience where they died to the physical ego self and were born of the spiritual self. Yes. Which I believe is the symbolism of the Ouroboros. Not that we need to physically die, but that we need to die to our um, base urges of um, lust, um, envy, greed, uh, primitive, um, egocentric ideas, uh, me centered, I'm special kind of. Over uh, somebody else. And yes. And then connect to the hive mind or the we are part of uh, something greater, we are interconnected or. We are one. Or if you're uh, a Buddhist monk for uh, twenty years, you come to understand that you are God. Um, of course, that's really considered heresy in many um, circles. But uh, it's a matter of language. It, yes. <laughs> but it is uh yeah. But it is the language of the mystic, of the person yes. that understands that they are uh, an awakened soul. And I'm throwing out different verbiage for the same thing because I think it's helpful not to concretize it.
0: Well, I'm so glad. I, you know, I I also listened to um, Richard Tarnas at Norwalk one year, a couple of years back, in Norwalk for our audience's sake, outside of Seattle, and many people are attending now as the Northwest Astrological Conference. And this is where I met Jane also this year, and uh, he, he wrote Psyche and um, Oh, my goodness, everybody. Cosmos and Psyche, right? Or Psyche and Cosmos, one or the other. I mean, it's whichever way. And and and, and began his studies as a young man uh, because he works down in uh, San Francisco. I don't mean to be humming and hawing here, but in San Francisco at the school and, and teaches. So these were early studies as a young, I guess, student professor and all of that. And it was with the LSD and interest, and it also brought in his interest with astrology because he noticed it depending on different times of the of the month. And he was outside letting people in that he could see the um, the moon coming up, and must have been someplace other than Seattle where you can see the moon a lot, and throughout the year. And that people would have these different experiences. And generally, it was that it was said in this also this speech that if we were a society that would honor the unseen, I'll put it that way because I'm just remembering his essence of what he said, that people would have, uh, those people that had difficult experiences would not have had them because it is in our consciousness of what we want, you know, illuminated. But what I find fascinating, Jane, here is, is that Rome, which had such a, it is that link, I suppose, between the very ancient times and the more modern times, but they allowed, that not only did the government, that it was the, the people of, of authority deemed this to be such an importance, but that it was open to everybody, women, slaves, uh, foreign people, and, and with a few qualifications, one of which is do no harm to other people, you know, through murder and and burning, which is just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's important no, uh, that you noted that. I, I think that's really true. Rome is the link, uh, at least for we in the West that um, from the ancient world to the modern. Now um, everything fell apart um, and was destroyed, you know, third, fourth century when when the whole when the Roman Empire, was invaded by the goths and the visigoths and um and then uh, became a christian uh the the cult of uh christianity grew from uh the the what we call <laughs> the um the um after christ and it grew till about the 300s into a, a, a in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea was held by Constantine and Christianity was not, was uh, mandatory. It was a state religion. So it was illegal to exercise and practice the mysteries and the ancient gods became against the state as opposed to uh, Theodosius who made Christianity an option. So things changed drastically. And the personal relationship with the divine be, was interceded by the priest. Uh, you had to get to; you couldn't go directly to the divine. You had to um, pray to the priest or talk to the priest, who who'd, who'd uh, be a uh, intermediary. You know, it fascinates that
0: that from the, the extremely ancient, because when we the timeline is like way back, maybe prior like neolithic you know a long time where mm-hmm. um, the, the the unity of cell, of of nature and of the more cuz i was just listening on the great courses my husband's watching the big history and so it mm-hmm. goes back from this man craig benjamin mm-hmm. from australia and takes it from neolithic up till mm-hmm. and, and this time that you're talking about but the point that i'm thinking is is that the Greeks actually stopped their mythology from being with the animals, you know, the their gods and goddesses were like people. And then here now with the demise of the Romans through these invaders, which I learned actually is just a matter of the the world moving from east to west across big spans of time, or spaces rather. And now it it is a further fragmentation is the point from the innate, the unif- So one wonders, well, okay, we're perhaps then if there is any reason for this, it's a matter of consciousness as far as other parts of civilization and growth and ability. But we're on this return basis now of really, as you say, reconnecting. There's this interest with more and more folks of through and astrologers and then wonderful people such as yourself that are so in
1: tune to remind us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really um, important way to, to end, to start um, preparing for the end of the show is uh, yes. Um, in a sense, we've become religiously um, removed from our, con- our intimate connection with the divine Through sort of the dogma of religion, Uh, because I don't think I think religion has uh, an important place uh, for organizing people, but um, I do think it's caused um, a separation, you know, in practical terms and also consciously. So what I perceive is happening today from my work as an intuitive and working directly with people individually. Um, Also looking at the big picture, but being on the ground, um, um, you know, boots on the street kind of thing, feet on the street. And uh, professionally, I'm merging with someone's consciousness. I'm finding out what their uh, spiritual path is and helping. uh, I'm not the moon. I say I'm the finger pointing at the moon. (laughs) So um, what I do see is that there is a disillusionment with organized religion, uh, but yet materialism doesn't fill that uh, the gap that that um, loss of religion creates. As a matter of fact, it causes a lot of confusion, unhappiness, and yearning for me for true meaning. I think astrology helps a lot in in being a um, sort of a um, an archetypal map for figuring out what that is. But the relationship to the to your personal idea of the divine can't be replaced by anything else but your personal relationship to the divine. Everything else is sort of a finger pointing to it. Um, and what I see is an awakening. I would say we're right in the middle of a Renaissance. Ooh. Now most renaissances happen at the back end of a golden age. So, um, I do think we're, uh, uh, from my investigations, um, uh, in talking to all different kinds of non um, human entities like trees and animals and mother earth herself. It's um, pretty clear to me that we're uh, heading into an ecological disaster. When I do my visions in remote viewing into future situations, I see that um, there are parts of the earth that we can't live on in um, several uh, dozen generations, and that we live um, possibly in domed areas, but that's a little vague because I do believe that the future is malleable. So hopefully in this awakening moment, we can turn that around, and I think a lot of people are uh, feeling that urgency, and oh, some people are feeling a desperation because they don't know what to do.
0: <clears throat> well, that gets so, yeah. oh, it gets right back then to the beginning of this, saying that there are times to borrow from ancestral, however we want to look at it, whether it's, but the fact is right now bringing up the point that, that this is a sacred time. It's of, and sacred in the sense of the light, that it has some balance of equality that, because it's so interactive, whether it's lunar, uh, solar, or whether it's male, Masculine, feminine, night, day—all these, however, people want to refer. uh, Generation, regeneration. Uh, So, so to go within and and gratitude again and again with so many uh, metaphysically in today's world is brought brings to be grateful brings abundance and I guess the the with your talk that you did that will be. Somehow we were saying we'll be attached to either the event on on the which is very kind of you and thank you on Talk Cosmos page or in your bio area. I'm not sure how my computer person will do it, but you will help me. But the point is, is that the gratitude is fundamental, and ancients knew it. And now it's like, I guess it recognizes, and what we feel and see, we manifest
1: yeah exactly and um how i see people who are grateful when i look at them energetically uh if you want to liken someone's pranic or um their chakra energy their energy of who they are their bio field to put a scientific label on it people who are grateful if you were to liken that to a plant or um a very vital plant with green leaves that produce beautiful flowers and fruit. Um, Someone who's um, holding on to the negativity that we talked about at the beginning of the lecture is a plant that might be, um, you know, infested by aphids or is dying back or is half the size of a plant that's steeped in in ingratitude. So it isn't as much, yes, it's a good thing to do and now's the perfect time to plant that idea because of the the time of year, and because of the electromagnetic field, it, I believe amplifies it. Um, but it it's really good for your health. Um, but to to bring it home into a personal realm, what we did for a ceremony, and ceremony is important. It is a way of merging the physical and the spiritual. And there's pretty universal if you look at it, east west. Uh, ancient, modern, there's pretty universal um, elements to a ceremony. There's purification. So um, what we did is we owned. Um, om, mm-hmm. And we owned for several minutes together. You don't need to be in a collective. You could be by yourself, but you're purifying yourself. And purification is the first step in any ceremony. To take yourself out of the workaday world and to the spiritual realm. I then had people draw and I have created a a handout, which I'll also give you a PDF and people can print for free, no problem and no copyright. So you can, you can share. I really think it's, I'm doing more and more, no copyright. I just think it's important. Um, And I had people draw what they were releasing and on, on one page and what they were grateful for for the other. And, and people could draw their hatred when, in red crayon, or they could draw the person that they resent, or they're envious of. I mean, these are all human emotions, and they're nothing to be ashamed of. they're uh, But we don't want to identify with them. We had everybody uh, share, uh, if they wanted, uh, what they wanted to release into the circle verbally, and then everybody ripped up their what they drew and left it in a pile in the middle of the room. We closed it with um, purification and sound as if sending it up the portal and out at this important time of year with the uh, elevated electromagnetic field. And um, possibly we'd created a portal. We were a circle. Why not? And um, we owned. Uh, oh, owned I love it. Oh, for several minutes afterwards. And, um, and that was, a that's a simple ceremony.
0: Oh, uh, this special, very special, we have, I'm going to just take a little moment here and remind people that, ne- and we'll go right back to this, because to have a ceremony that is an act, it, it gives us that participation, and it's it's like poetry or music, it's beyond us, It it factors in things that we don't need to understand, we just use electricity and it works. But next week will be the cosmic collaboration, and I have adapted it. We're on the upper hemisphere, and instead of individual commentaries, it's going to be a live panel, and it'll be with two astrologers perhaps some of you are familiar with. They're here in Seattle because it's in Seattle. Shannon Hayes, who's an evolutionary astrologer and a stargazer and nature-lover activist, and Amanda Pierce, who's also an astrologer of electric energy interest and both of in a psychology degree and both of them have, are on well various talks. But that will be next Saturday, the twenty eighth, for Libra. And we'll be talking about quincunx, which is another part of relationships, because everything and, and the goal and I'm gonna return now with Jane DeForest, who has been having this wonderful talk about equinox. And I think ceremonies is how we can participate in a relationship with the unseen in the world. Would you say we have about three minutes here? We can, but I I love this Jane. That's so great. Yeah.
1: I I love this too. And it's just an honor to speak to you, Susan. And I'm so (laughs) grateful to be invited to your exquisite show that's sharing ancient knowledge that on, on some level we remember. So we're just reminding people and i'm very appreciative to have the opportunity to um share this ancient wisdom um it's so important to me that i've i've spent a lot of time and resources in researching it so that i can share it in a concise and, and sort of sound bites kind of way cuz we live in that kind of world so we don't have the time to to go on a year sabbatical typically so but we I'm do but, yeah. but we are as you going back your beehive
0: idea which, again, it, we need the bees, and I hope people do look into both your, um, It's I think your sites are Jane's Inspiration and IANDS about near death, but the, the Ecuador project and the bees, because if we're all unified, which we are, it doesn't mean we have the same amount of water that we need for our plant or the same uh, altitude, but we all need sunshine and we need some dirt and we need some water and and we're united. So having this link you sharing and us hearing and connecting
1: it matters.
0: It's wonderful.
1: <laughs> it is wonderful. So thank you so much. Okay.
0: Well, then very wonderful. This show will be repeated on Thursday October 3rd, and today is the 28th, but the equinox, remember, was on the 23rd at 51 minutes after midnight. Thank you, fantastic guests and audience. Talk to you later.